1: Rise for their majesties of Royally Obsessed, the
0: podcast for all things Royals.
2: Three cheers for His Majesty,
0: the King. Welcome back to Royally Obsessed. I'm Roberta and I'm Rachel. And before we get into all the royal news of the week, first follow us on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast. Also send us a listener email. We love hearing from our audience. Info at gallerypodcasts with an S on the end.com. Please, please write to us. Love letters. Happy Valentine's Day, Rachel. Happy Valentine's Day, Roberta. And almost happy President's Day. (laughs) I feel like it's a holiday-filled week. It really is. It is. And we're going to get into President's Day, too, and Valentine's Day. So what do we have coming up? All right. Well, I think first and foremost, we're talking about this mega Sussex rebranding
1: media blitz. This week has been full of Sussex news. We're going to be talking about all of that. Also, updates on Charles and Kate and their health. A royal birthday that is Not the talk of the town, but we're going to be talking about it. More royal content from Netflix. And this is super fun. In honor of President's Day, we're joined by David Charter, author of Royal Audience 70 Years, 13 Presidents, One Queen's Special Relationship with America. This book is out March 5th, super appropriate ahead of the holiday this weekend.
0: And now it's time for the weekly royal cocktail. Oh, it was so fascinating getting to chat with David. But first, of course, we always leave time for a royal refreshment. And cheers, Valentine's cheers. Day is no <laughs> different. So I whipped out this really easy drink, and I think that our audience will like it, hopefully. It's a Valentine's Spritz, and it's super easy. It's just rose, a splash of seltzer or soda water. I have soda, and then a splash of grapefruit juice, or really whatever you juice you might have in the fridge, like cranberry or pomegranate. And then this is the icing on the cake and i don't know if you can see this over the zoom rachel but i have a toothpick through a little gummy heart candy which is the perfect little garnish i love that that is so genius and so you i absolutely love the creativity that you always bring to this here's a little healthy swap though if you wanted to do this is it cut the candy no i'm just kidding (laughs) OK, you could do that. Or you could cut a strawberry in half so it looks like a heart and put that oh. toothpick through that or a couple of those and lay it across your drink. So I hope oh my people make this for Valentine's Day or whatever, just your weekend plans. What are you guys up to? What are you and Matt up to for the holiday? Well,
1: I was laughing because this morning I I do enjoy Valentine's Day. And I guess I got Finn really engaged on it because this morning at like 530 a.m., we were still asleep. And Someone, you know, I was asleep, but Finn burst into our room and screamed at the top <laughs> of his lung. Happy Valentine's Day oh. it was a horrible thing to wake up to, but also super cute. Oh. So that was like Valentine's for for me. But we're just cooking at home, nothing, nothing crazy. Which is, but I think it's just also like a harder night to go out. It's like intense at restaurants.
0: So how are you and Dave celebrating in in Brooklyn, New York? No, it's so intense. We don't go out on the actual day either. We're just like so over the reservation rush and all of that. And so we're actually going out on Saturday to Sushi. And it's a place that's oh. right, really close to us and that we always pass. And we're like, we should go there. We should go there. And finally, I was like, we're going. So I'm I excited. Love that. I
1: actually feel like it's like, I, I love the like those kind of neighborhood restaurants, things you always walk by. And I feel
0: like that's cozy and romantic. I love it's that. It's like a long time coming. And we have a long weekend, President's Day weekend, which is so nice. So I'm really excited. I forgot excited for about it as a long weekend, truly. Roberta, before we move
1: on, will you indulge me as I send you some digital Royal themed valentines, and I would love for you to in the chat do the this honors of reading surprise. aloud. I have to preface this by saying, and it's great because it's a Sussex heavy episode. Most of the royal valentines on the internet, mostly Etsy, are Harry themed. There's not a lot with really, 18, huh. but these this quick selection will make you laugh out loud. Okay, this is the first. <gasps>
0: Stop. (laughs) It's a half-naked Harry in just underwear, cartoon version, of course. And it says, "I spare nothing for you." And it even has ginger chest hair. I cannot reach. Okay, it's gonna get better. I'm starting with the wait. That's the best one, I think.
1: No, it's gonna be better.
0: Okay, I have two more links. Wait, this is the first one. Ooh, this one's good. It's Harry, like from the cover of Spare. Illustration and it says, even the seals know your magic. Happy Valentine's This Day. is a nod to spare.
1: Do you remember he talked about this with Megan when she kind of spoke to the seals? I had to look it up in the book, but it's
0: like Oh my god, I thought you were talking about like seals like marine seal. Like it um, is marine
1: seals. Yeah, like no, no, animals. no, like
0: um navy seals. <laughs> oh, no, no, no.
1: I mean marine like animal seals. Marine animal seals. Okay, please. I do the not. Next That one. went right over yeah, my head. Okay. That's okay. Um, this is my favorite. The
0: third. So cute. Another little drawing of Harry with lotion. It says, roses are red, violets are blue. <gasps> so is his todger. I love you. Is that so inappropriate? Uh, <laughs> All the
1: what? spare references. It's insane to me. Is that—is that so bad, Roberta? Should we it's not do that? It's so good. It's, <laughs> no, it's
0: amazing.
1: We're okay, and then the final out. one is not Harry themed, but this is great for Galentine's.
0: Ooh, this one's so, so good. It's an illustration of Diana in her revenge dress. And beneath it, it just says, dump him in all
1: caps. <laughs> <counts. laughs> I mean, that's so amazing. I just found Rachel, the Rachel, greatest... I love that you scoured
0: Etsy for all of these. They're so it good. It was
1: so much fun. Like, I just kind of went down the rabbit hole, as we like to say. And it just went off the rails. And I had a great time. But it, there wasn't a lot for, like, William and Kate and Meghan and all that stuff. But Harry, there's, like, nonstop options
0: we'll spare. I mean, it's just like the perfect fodder. But also, listeners, this was such a surprise. I didn't know it. Now I feel so showered in royal love from you. Yes, this. This happy is so Valentine's. Wonderful. It's happy so nice Valentine's. to spend it with you. And
1: we're seeing each other tomorrow, which is even more exciting. All right, moving on to our listener email, we got this delightful note from Bridget, who notes she's a reporter for the Daily Express UK, but also a fan. She writes, I love, love, love Royally Obsessed, not because it makes my job so much easier because Rachel and Roberta share their expert knowledge, but because it's just so enjoyable. Bridget sent this last week, hence this next part. She writes, I actually thought to myself earlier today, I wonder if the girls posted an unscheduled episode to discuss King Charles's cancer announcement. And they did, which (laughs) is just so great of you to do, especially for listeners who are very concerned. I think it's helpful to hear what you both have to say. At least it was for me. Bottom line, she wanted to send a note to say hi, but also thank us for being so on top of things and sharing the plethora of royal knowledge we have with the rest of us. She adds, oh, and fun and fizzy cocktail recipes and updates on what each of you are wearing when meeting up. (laughs) She adds, finally, I discovered royally obsessed through work, but now I am hooked. Even the UK press loves us, Roberta.
0: I love that the work led her here, and that's really exciting. It feels like we're being showered in so much love on Valentine's Day. This is the perfect note. I
1: know. It was a little, like, hard to read. I blushed. I blushed, yeah. I do love that she asks for more outfit updates. I
0: think that that's just so flattering. Thank you for that. It is. And we can include, I mean... Not what we're normally wearing like in our episode notes, but definitely we have this new section in the episode notes. I don't know if anyone's noticed, but it's called mentioned in the episode and we try to include links to things that we're discussing. So it's easier for all of our listeners to find. So we'll include anything we talk about fashion related in there as well. Like those amazing Diana earrings that
1: me, right that now. I wear all the time. Oh, I am wearing a heart sweater, it's but that's so because I volunteered cute. at Finn School today. I wear it once a year on Valentine's Day. It's from Draper James. It's like five years old, but
0: I love it. And now this week in Royal History. Moving on to this week in Royal History. Prince Andrew's birthday. This one just felt really appropriate given the scoop movie news, which we're going to get into. But we will not make you endure too much background on. Oh, I can't believe I have to say this. Randy, Andy, Ugh. Andrew entered this world on February nineteenth, nineteen sixty, in Buckingham Palace's Belgian Suite, and he has the distinction of being the first child born to a reigning British monarch in over a hundred years. Before him, the last one was eighteen fifty-seven. I thought that was really fascinating. I mean we won't get one for so long. So that trend really does continue. A quick snapshot, because this just helps me visualize the rest of the royal family during this time. So Queen Elizabeth was 33 when he was born. Philip was 38. Charles was just 11. Anne was nine. And Edward would be born. He was just a twinkle in their eye. He would be born four years later. Diana would be born a year later. And Princess Margaret made her announcement engagement just a week after Andrew's birth to Antony Armstrong-Jones. It caught the press by total surprise, probably because they had just come off of a royal birth from the queen. And so they were not expecting this from Princess Margaret. That's such a great way
1: to tell us of where we were in royal history. I love the ages of everyone. I really enjoyed that, Robert
0: I had to interrupt to say that. The ages really like put me in a certain place. I think that's why. Fast forward 2021, a book by royal biographer Nigel Cawthorne said that at Gordonston, Andrew was nicknamed the Sniggerer by his schoolmates because of his penchant for off-color jokes at which he laughed inordinately. Does that not feel like foreshadowing? It's unfortunate, yeah. Okay, and then fast forwarding to today, Netflix dropped the Scoop movie bombshell this week and the movie is out April 5th. Those photos, that trailer, it's wild i mean one of the ig commenters said that it looked like mike pence plus 40 pounds which i can so see we're gonna play a snippet of the trailer this is the story the only story i want it for us thursday 2 p.m the palace two chairs in the middle of the floor six feet apart I'm just loving the music.
1: Can we just have that track underline our whole
0: episode? It's very dramatic. I know. I know. What did you think of it? I mean, I was just
1: so excited. I feel like my reaction was also to Rufus Sewell and hair and makeup, just completely making him look like Andrew. I mean, mm-hmm. Netflix can do it. I feel like it was absolutely a choice to cast Dominic West as Charles, right? Because we could see that they can really redo someone to make them look quite exact. But do you I'm also excited. see Mike Pence,
0: though? With I do. Some I do. <laughs> weight
1: gain. After that person said that, I was like, oh my gosh, spot on. Well done. But I'm excited. I mean, April 5th is right after Easter, right when Kate is supposed to return. So I feel like it's
0: a lot to come back to for sure. That's so true. Yeah, I did want to call out to like Jillian Anderson, who's also in The Crown. I feel like she's been on the Buckingham Palace set for so long. Like they just like have her there in the wings. Also, I had to look this up. Princess Beatrice will be played by Charity Wakefield, which I don't know if you ever watched. I don't think you did the show The Great. On Hulu. Oh, I did. I did. You did? I loved it. Okay, so that. she's yes. in that. She's in that show. She's one of the. She's a brunette in the show that has the affair with the czar. Ooh. And then also we have Keely Hawes, who is married to Matthew McFadden, who is Tom Wamsgams from Succession. What? She is his. She's Andrew's press sec- secretary in the movie. So it's a movie, right? It's not a TV show.
1: No, it's a movie. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's definitely okay. a movie. I'm yeah, excited. I'm so excited. I feel like it just. I can't wait to see how Netflix retells this. And I, I mentioned to you when we were slacking about it ahead of our of our recording, just that I am watching The Diplomat right now, so I'm in a real Rufus Sewell oh, yeah. state of mind. I've never yes. watched that show, and I know a lot of people love it.
0: And we had, if our listeners remember, we had Sam McAllister on the show a while back, and you guys can go back and listen to that episode all about the book that this movie is based on. So I highly recommend. Also, just one more note about this week coming up. Sunday is The BAFTAs. Will we see William? That's still a big question mark, TBD, on that. I hope so. That would be really exciting. But it is midterm break, so I don't know.
1: I feel like he's supposed to be offline during this time. I'm not expecting it.
0: Yeah, maybe they're traveling or on vacation or something. It would be a super big surprise. All right, moving
1: on to royal news. The Sussex's relaunch. Roberta, I really was excited to talk to you about this, our Me forensic too. analysis of Sussex.com. It was quite a week of news, and they are currently not yet that we've seen touching down in Vancouver, kicking off their three days um, to celebrate the Invictus Games that will take place in that area in 2025. Just kind of a ramp up to that. But we need to talk about this very quiet, I'm yelling the word quiet, relaunch on Monday, moving sussexroyal.com to sussex.com. If you remember, and if you visit sussexroyal.com now, the redirect from that page now reads, this site was established in 2020 and sets out the work streams of Prince Harry and Meghan, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, prior to their move to the United States. To learn more about the royal couple and their philanthropic endeavors, click here. So it doesn't fully redirect. You can go to the site, but then if you click that link, it takes you to the newly established sussex.com. I'm giving you another timeline. I loved Roberta's timeline above. But this is basically to take us back to the evolution of their digital presence. Originally, Harry and shared any updates at Kensington Royal on Instagram, along with William and Kate. But then in 2019, they launched at Sussex Royal on Instagram when they were in the process of setting up their separate office. Then SussexRoyal.com was launched in 2020 upon their exit from the Royal family when they broke that news. The website went live. But they had to remove remove the trademark applications for it, all of that stuff. The statement that is currently on their website or on sussexroyal.com, if you go and search that, says, as the Duke and Duchess of Sussex will no longer be considered full-time working members of the royal family, it was agreed that use of the word royal would need to be reviewed as it pertains to organizations associated with them in this new regard. So basically, they plan to blow out this whole presence with sussexroyal.com, but they had to remove the trademark applications It's basically been a defunct site until this big relaunch. Mm. There were tons of details that we wanted to call out. First and foremost, the homepage image. This was taken by Chris Jackson. It's the same one that they use for their Christmas card. It's from the Invictus Games 2023 in Germany. This was a huge point of fascination for both of us, especially you, Roberta. Megan's coat of arms is used, as well as the pair's joint royal cipher. This was really fascinating. Do you want to talk about that at all, Roberta? Or do you want me to just go through?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think this is so fascinating because everything feels so royal, and I know we're going to get into the discussion of this, but I just didn't really remember that Meghan had been given a coat of arms before their wedding, but it's so symbolic. It has so many different, I was reading, I had to refresh my memory. So the blue background of her shield represents the, you can't tell because it's not in color on their site, but the, if you look up the coat of arms for her, the blue background of her shield represents the Pacific Ocean off the California coast. The two golden rays across the shield are sunshine in the hometown in her hometown of los angeles the three quills represent communication and the power of words which might be a reflection of the tig or her activism it's so interesting to me Yeah, and typically it would have been sort of a combination
1: coat of arms of the two of them, but that's called a conjugal coat of arms, and that's not released until later into their marriage, but they were already no longer senior royals. So Kate and Williams apparently was released two years after their marriage, and we didn't have that same timeline with Harry and Meghan while they were in the royal family.
0: I also want to call out, too, that it wasn't updated per the guidelines that they have for all these coat of arms. And no one's has been except for Camilla's. Since the king's coronation, now Harry is actually the son of the king. So he gets a different crown on his coat of arms. It's a different coronet and a different lapel, which is due to him not being the grandchild of the monarch, but actually the son of the monarch. It's so all fascinating. so interesting. But they will they haven't even released... I don't think William and Kate's yet or any of the royal family's updated coat of arms yet.
1: Yeah. But so even though it's Meghan's coat of arms technically, it does incorporate Harry's crest. So people that are freaking out that it's like only hers, it is a combination still. They never got that conjugal coat of arms. The royal cipher, though, is used. And it's we remember that vividly from when they kind of re- set out on their own with at Sussex Royal on Instagram, and also, you know, the color palette, the fonts, all of that is what we were familiar with when you go, because their Sussex Royal Instagram is still live and that deep, rich navy blue. We did know archwell.org has also rebranded, and it mirrors Sussex.com, and they new, also have a new tagline, show up, do good. I don't think that was there before, right? No, I've never heard that. The designer of this site does also have a TIG reference, where it's this brand article in Canada that Megan used to do the whole web design for the TIG. So I'm just, I know oh, you and I have huge like kind of momentum and curiosity about if the TIG will relaunch, if Megan's coming to Instagram. But I feel like we just wanted to talk about those like details that jumped out to us first before diving into a lot of thoughts on this relaunch.
0: Rachel, I love this call that I saw that the quill on Megan's shield in her coat of arms I'm see I'm obsessed with the coat of arms I can't stop talking about it but it could be a call out to her calligraphy days I think that's so genius yeah I mean I feel like even the cipher too so it's really fascinating I
1: also love that you love the coat of arms like for me I just love seeing you nerd out on these specific things and it's so great to be a part of I think our big top line view though of the rebrand is just doesn't it all feel kind of quite royal Roberta?
0: I 100% feel like it's that saying that we have gone to time and time again, which is the royals need them as much as they need the royals. And this association has just been made so strong with this website relaunch. I think that not that there's anything wrong with that, although it is quite confusing, right? Because the narrative before and from Spare and all of what we've heard from the Sussexes is that there's this huge gulf between them literally and figuratively there's a giant ocean there's their worlds apart and yet they've now decided to sort of strengthen that relationship between the royal family and it's not just the coat of arms it's the mention of prince archie and princess lilibet they make a point to include those titles there's so many other instances where it's just it's like boom royal in your face we are royal still and i just i'm curious what that where they will go with that I know. And that line is drawn just
1: back to their royal past with the color palette. I I feel like that just vividly jumps out to me. Also, I did want to share my favorite online conspiracy theory, and it is exactly a conspiracy theory, but it talks about Harry's trip across the pond. Was that a moment where he was firming up a half-in, half-out plan, which is what Mm. they always wanted? Signing some papers. Again, a massive
0: conspiracy theory, but it made me laugh. Was that the Clarence summit? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, it'll so. be here heretofore known as the Clarence Summit.
1: Yes, he was also, of course, we know that he was visiting Charles after the cancer diagnosis. But I feel like it, you know, if there was some side business theory, going though. on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I agree with you, Roberta, and you said it so articulately that rising tides lift all ships. So I do feel like this is great royal news in this royal gap when everyone's not faring that well across the pond with their health and things like that. It's kind of nice, positive royal headlines to see that connection made, I think. But it is it does bring up the questions of are they trying to shed that relationship with their past or
0: are they amplifying it? To me, they're clearly not shedding it, which I think is what's so, so surprising and took us both so off guard and probably members of our audience and not, you know, we both love Harry and Meghan. We are super excited for them and all their future endeavors. But it just it does feel like a little bit of a head scratcher, I will say, that, um, that they have gone so hard on the royal front. And also that this is really like the individual profiles are really fascinating in the way that they talk about themselves.
1: Yeah. It says, Meghan, I love this, that she's a feminist first. There's a Tig shout out. You know, Harry, it really just differentiates them in terms of their objectives and their career paths. And it hints at what their focus will be next. Is this the work of Ari Emanuel? We have so many questions. Do you think Instagram is coming next? I definitely searched the page for that icon.
0: I have a feeling that after Canada, they might put some things up there. We also saw that new portrait of Megan shot by Misan Harriman. it feels so Instagram worthy. Like, I can just see her. Being, that's her profile picture. I didn't remember that, that it was the same photo that they used for their Christmas card that's on the homepage on Sussex.com. But it's funny because it's like it reminds me of just when you like a photo of yourself, you put it everywhere. (laughs) Like I those photos from us in London, like LinkedIn, my website, my Twitter, my like I don't go on Twitter, but my Instagram, it's just it's everywhere. And I think that Megan and Harry really love that photo.
1: I know. And, and it's a great photo. Credit to Chris Jackson, as most of his images, not most, all of his images tend to be. OK, more Sussex News, though, quickly. We also got this announcement that Lemonada Media will now house Archetypes, the podcast, and Megan's future podcast endeavors. She is joining the platform. She'll host a, quote, dynamic new podcast Coming up in the future, there's been no date revealed, no topic revealed. Will we find out in a couple of days? We have this three-day blitz when they're in Vancouver. I do like this connection and this partnership because Lemonada is female founded. I mean, most famously recently, Julia Louis-Dreyfus had a fantastic podcast that both of you enjoyed on that platform. So I think it's great. And anyone will be able to access the Archetypes podcast versus just being able to hear it on Spotify.
0: And dynamic makes me think that maybe it's constant. Like, I, I feel like some a lot of celebrity podcasts are 10 episodes, one and done. And meanwhile, you and I are doing the real work over here. Every week, we're here. <laughs> every, every week. week I want to see week. Megan we every love week you all. at that microphone. Yes. <laughs> yes. I know. I know. Do you think it's odd that Harry's not a part of the podcast deal? I think he's going to have some other projects announced. This is just like Megan's week, it feels like. I think that that he'll have more, but I, that's just a guess, but I do, I do want to say before we move on from the website, there was one more thing. The headline I just saw pop up was that Archie and Lilibet will now be known, their last name as Sussex and not Mountbatten-Windsor, which is a change, but sources told the Times of London that they, ever since the coronation, have now, I guess in school maybe, have been going by Archie and Lilibet Sussex. So just really interesting that they're leaning into that. And then the last thing that I wanted to say was, Is this, if we're keeping score, is this like Sussex 3.0, 4.0? Like, what number update is this? There are so many
1: rebrands that we've already gone through. A lot of rebrands. I know. I know. I will give them a little bit of space there, too, because it's hard. They've really had to, an uphill battle with figuring out what the, their images and their identity post royal family it's not something they figure out overnight so oh, yeah that's not a ding i feel like all of us go through so many rebrands. no 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 i my know it's not i know it's not but i feel like it is, kind of, <laughs> it is kind of funny because there's a lot of relaunching going on um again we're about to see harry and megan for three days i've said that like 18 times but i'm excited i feel like i am blocking or protecting my wallet because when megan was in germany <laughs> of course you and i True. shopped like mad of all of her looks Again, the Invictus Games had there in 2025, and they are kind of just ramping up and getting excitement
0: building. Yeah, I saw the photos of Harry and Meghan getting off a private plane in Canada. Oh, you did? That are was, those that was the only thing that I've seen. Yes, it's very blurry, so you don't even need to look at it. It's, <laughs> it's like, like not, not even that at no, all. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I think someone like had to zoom in 25 times to see if Meghan was there.
1: All right, and now our fantastic conversation with David Charter.
0: Rose, please give a warm welcome to today's guest, David Charter. He's the author of Royal Audience, 70 Years, 13 Presidents, One Queen's Special Relationship with America. The book is out March 5th, but we thought the timing couldn't be more perfect with President's Day this upcoming Monday. His new book explores the in-depth history of Queen Elizabeth II's diplomatic and personal bonds she developed with the 13 heads of state who governed our country during her 70-year-long reign. David, also, the US editor of the Times of London, and he now lives in DC. Welcome to the show.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
0: First, we want to start off. Who do you think was Queen Elizabeth's favorite US president?
2: Oh, you're diving straight in at the conclusion <laughs> the of the heck, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> well, look, without giving away too many spoilers, the Queen made it her business to get along with every US president that she met. And she would never be heard saying that she had a favourite or describing that in public, of course. But it is possible, I think, to make a judgment call on who her absolute favourites were among the 13 sitting presidents that she met. And what I do at the end of the book is I assess this in, in order to avoid making just picking just one, I say that there was definitely favourites from her father's generation, from her own generation, and from the the post-war generation of her children. And I think that uh, President Eisenhower really stands out from her father's generation, probably the president she admired the most because of his wartime leadership. And of course, this was what built the special bond that the Queen felt Great Britain had with America. A lot of it down to the personality of Eisenhower, she felt. And he was the only president to be invited to stay at Balmoral Castle with the family. Then moving on to her own generation, I think the standout was President Reagan, probably because of his love of horses and great sense of humour. They really clicked and got on. But I do give an honourable mention here to his successor, George H. W. Bush, because uh, a very similar age to, to her husband, Prince Philip, and like him, a wartime record of service as a, as a very young serviceman in the Second World War. Uh, and then from the modern generation, I do think that she clicked with Obama. Once again, it's I saw this really because, like the other presidents that she really got on with, the Obamas made it their business to stay in touch with different generations of the royal family. And would welcome visits from the grandsons, Harry and William, just as the Reagans had become close to Charles and Diana, and the Eisenhowers remained close to the Queen's mother, uh, who was hosted at the, at the White House unusually uh, in the 1950s. So the, the, the standout presidents had relationships not just with the Queen, uh, but with uh, a few members of the royal family, multi generational members of the royal family.
0: Is there anyone who stands out as the least favorite? We hate to ask, but I feel like... And of course, she was always diplomatic, as you said, but I think... Was there anyone that probably ranked least?
2: <laughs> well, once again, this is a, a difficult call to make. And one, I must underline this, the Queen would never be making this such a judgment call herself in public and be horrifying to her uh, if it was even possible to say that there was uh, one particular president that uh, she didn't get along with for for some reason, because she she made an enormous effort to get along with them. Uh, It has to be said that uh, she only met President Carter once. That's not his fault. It was just one event that brought him to London during his presidency. And of course, he only served one term. And there was an incident where, as he left the dinner at Buckingham Palace, the Queen Mother felt that he was rather over friendly in, in kissing her uh, good night. She said on the lips he did dispute this later and said it wasn't <laughs> quite as intimate as that. Uh, well, this, the Queen Mother famously said afterwards that nobody had done that since her late husband had died uh, several decades before, uh, and she took a step back, but it wasn't quite far enough to avoid uh, President Carter's goodbye, and that was an awkward incident. But I must stress it's not one that the Queen would would let get in the way of relations between the countries.
1: Well, David, you're teeing us up rather perfectly there, because as you just mentioned, it wasn't always smooth sailing during the Queen's encounters with U.S. leaders, or in this case, the Queen Mother. You mentioned that there were, you know, some breaches of protocol, like when Jimmy Carter kissed the Queen Mother on the lips, or Jackie Kennedy's harsh comments on the Queen's style. We also always think of that photo of Trump with his back turned to her as they were inspecting the troops. Can you tell us what you would say was the most egregious breach in your eyes of
2: protocol? I think the so-called egregious breaches of protocol are often much more in the eyes of the beholding media uh, than in the participants. And certainly, again, it was a stress to me by Buckingham Palace that the Queen does, does not expect royal visitors, uh, especially foreigners uh, coming from America, for example, to observe Every royal courtesy that would even be expected of British people, so curtsying and bowing, for example, is no longer expected from royal guests who are not representing Commonwealth countries. For for example, there have been various media storms about whether the Queen was addressed properly, say by Nancy Reagan when she refused to curtsy uh, on their first meeting. Again, the Buckingham Palace was. out a statement saying it was very relaxed about this and it did not expect a royal visitor from America to to bow or curtsy in front of the front of the Queen. The incident with Trump has been widely reported. Of course, what happened there was that they walked over to inspect a line uh, of uh, British guardsmen on the Windsor Castle lawn and there was a muddle where Trump seemed to walk in front of the queen and the queen was moving her hand trying to get him to move into the right position uh, and in the end they walked perfectly friend of course in front of the row of troops but this incident was explained to me by buckingham palace it actually has quite an interesting story behind it because this was the first time that the queen had led an inspection of the troops with an american president Prince Philip, who was still alive at the time, had just retired from doing this duty. He was the one who had led several other presidents along lines of troops. And the Queen didn't exactly know what she was doing either. So the line from Buckingham Palace is certainly that it was six of one and half a dozen of the other. They Neither of them were really exactly sure what they were doing and that the Queen was mortified, actually, uh, that there were press stories blaming it all on the, on Donald Trump at the time. And British officials have told me, for example, that the state visit of Trump, which happened the following year, went off by the book. Uh, as far as the royal family were concerned, the Trumps, and many of them visited, as you recall, for, this, for the state dinner, uh, were very well behaved in terms of protocol. One of the other famous ones, of course, is Michelle Obama putting her arm around the back of the queen. During a reception on the Obamas' first visit in 2009. And this could have been blown up, of course, by the media into some international incident. But what happened was almost immediately, if not simultaneously, the Queen put her own arm around Michelle Obama's back. And that did show to me, first of all, a, a growing relationship with the Obamas. They had only just met uh, the day before, I think. But also, the Queen's determination to make sure that so-called breaches of protocol did not overshadow the enormous uh, organisation that goes into a royal meeting of of this kind, especially the first time that this new president and and the first lady had met the Queen, had met the royal family. I think that gives you an indication of how much the royal family, are determined not to let these so-called breaches of protocol spoil the whole thing.
0: I love that photo of Michelle Obama and the Queen. I'm so glad you brought that up. Speaking of first ladies, we wanted to ask more about JFK and Jackie in particular, who were at the center of America's own royal dynasty, if we can say that. So The Crown, the show on Netflix, certainly took a stab at a portrayal of this, but what is fact and fiction there?
2: Well, the Crown episode does spring from a situation that was actually rather tense and awkward. And we know this because Jackie Kennedy later gossiped with a couple of her confidants who spilled the beans, notably Gore Vidal, who revealed that Jackie had said that the, the Queen was... A human to her only once, and she thought the queen resented her. And so, this quite thin information was built into the the portrayal in the crown of the queen being rather jealous of the all the publicity surrounding the Kennedys, who had just been on a state visit to France before they came to the UK, and were fated as the the face of the sixties, the, the the happening couple, the most fashionable first lady ever, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But What was really behind it wasn't in the crown, and that was that the Kennedys uh, were offered this dinner at Buckingham Palace as a what the palace thought was a rather generous gesture as they were on an informal visit to come for the christening of Jackie's niece. The Kennedys wanted uh, Jackie's sister and brother-in-law to come to the dinner, but this was early 1960s Britain and it was still rather hidebound and stayed. And the rule was, especially for uh, an informal dinner at Buckingham Palace, that no people who were divorced were really allowed to be on the guest list. And of course, this was Jackie's sister's second marriage, and the husband was on his third marriage. And back and forth, the officials went trying to explain to the first couple that really this is not done at Buckingham Palace and uh, could we just invite some other people? And the Kennedys asked if they could have Princess Margaret, the Queen's sister, and Princess Marina, uh, a royal aunt who was so fashionable she'd had her own colour named after her, Marina Blue. But in the end, it came down to a sort of showdown where Kennedy himself said, well, don't bother with us then if it's all too much trouble or words to that effect. We don't know the exact words. And in a panic, uh, Downing Street, then the prime minister got involved and, with the palace. And of course, they said, well, look, OK, then uh, we can have the, the sister and, and the brother-in-law can come along. But when the Kennedys turned up on the evening, there was no Princess Margaret. There was no Princess Marina. And as Jackie described it, there was every Commonwealth Minister of Agriculture they could find to fill out the table. And this made for a rather awkward atmosphere, of course. This wasn't in the Crown, this whole backstory about the the guest list being the problem. The Crown made it out to be the Queen's jealousy at Jackie's popularity to be the problem. But I find that rather unlikely. I don't really think the Queen of Great Britain would have been so terribly generous of someone else getting a lot of attention, uh, but it obviously made for great TV.
1: Yes, that that over-dramatization, that fictionalization of royal events, for sure, as The Crown does so well. One thing that struck me in your book is, you know, you talk about Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip's early visits to D.C. to meet with, for example, President Truman, who they had a terrific rapport with. This line, the American press gushed about the enthusiastic welcome and emphasized the youthfulness of the couple. How would you compare Elizabeth and Philip's visits to Diana and Charles's later trips to D.C. decades beyond that time? I mean, I feel like you noted that 550,000 people turned out to see the Queen and Philip. But in this case, it was a young and dashing Philip who stole the show versus a young and dashing Diana or young and and stunning Diana. It just was it's interesting because we just don't hear a ton about the early years of newlywed life for Elizabeth and Philip in D.C.,
2: It is actually absolutely fascinating and enormous crowds turned out for those first royal visits. The first one, as you say, she was still Princess Elizabeth, but the many tens of thousands of people who lined the streets was a little exaggerated because Truman had given all the federal workers the day off so they could actually uh, line the streets in Washington, D.C. And nevertheless, it was a really special occasion because it was the first time the Queen had set foot in the United States of America. She got off the plane at National Airport uh, uh, to be greeted by the Trumans and their daughter, who was very famous in her own right as, as a singer and, and had met the Queen uh, that summer uh, as, a, as preparation uh, for the visit, actually. Uh, and also when the the following state visit in 1957, those crowds were, were again huge. And you've got to bear in mind that at those occasions the queen was a was a cover girl in the 1950s uh, she was still in her 20s when she came to the throne as you, as you know but she was never really the most fashionable of public figures was a different prospect of course much later in her life but as you say when that kind of excitement returned it was for uh, diana who had married into the royal family aged just 19 and she was in her early 20s when the regans invited them to the white house and famously nancy reagan encouraged john travolta to suggest a dance with uh, diana on the in the in the middle of the white house <laughs> floor which uh, gave rise to uh, all all those lovely photographs that are very memorable uh, even even today and it was just a different age uh, of celebrity really when diana uh, came along and was fashionable to boot that wasn't the queen's USP, right? She was very formally dressed and stuck quite rigidly to the plan. There wasn't an awful lot of, of impromptu dancing, for example, although one was arranged with President Ford <laughs> the, in the 1976 yeah. state visit in the very same place where Diana would later dance with John Travolta. That was a little more formal. And of course, there was that incident where the band sticking to its playlist, uh, st- at the very moment that the Queen and President Ford st- uh, stepped onto the dance floor, the next tune on the playlist was The Lady as a Tramp. Oh they get a bit of adverse that's... publicity the next day because the 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 AP reporter picked up on that. Nobody else had really noticed it at the time, actually.
1: The details, the details. No, I love that the fanfare seemed of equal measure, but I like what you said about how celebrity was kind of looked at differently back then. But I, I did like the detail that Philip kind of stole the show and that kind of contrast.
2: Oh, yes, that's right. Because, because of course, very fascinating to go back, look at the newspaper reports of the 1951 visit, and the reporters are picking up just how many young women are in the crowd. And you can hear them screaming, there he is, there he is, the big blonde boy. Oh, he's gorgeous. And, you know, you can hear the noises off in, in the crowd as, as the motorcade go, goes in towards, towards the White House. So it is actually, uh, yes, it is actually the royal consort is getting quite a lot of attention rather than the queen.
1: <laughs> and a flip then again in the 80s with Diana
0: and Charles. But yeah, it's so it's so interesting. It really stood out to us. Well, David, you mentioned the Reagans, and I want to go back to that because the cover of Royal Audience, your book, is an iconic image. It's the one of the Queen giving a speech as Ronald Reagan laughs uproariously. So take us inside that moment. What was she saying? And was the Queen's wit on display often in front of different presidents?
2: The Queen did like a joke, actually, although quite often they were rather scripted. And you've got to say hats off to the photographer who captured this moment because the photographers were handed out a copy of the speech before she gave it. And they went through it quickly and they spotted that this joke was going to come up. So we're all ready for this big moment that made what I would describe as one of the top photographs really symbolizing the special relationship between the two countries and and the kind of relationship that was struck up between the Queen and the Presidents. Of course, this was when the Queen made a 10-day tour of California. And it was a return visit after a really successful trip by Reagan the previous year when they'd rode horses together in Windsor Home Park. And what they really wanted to do was have a uh, a rerun uh, in, in California where they would ride horses together in, in America. But the weather was absolutely atrocious and it caused almost all the events, including the horse riding, unfortunately, to be cancelled. And what the Queen was saying at that moment was the effect that I realised that you'd imported a lot of British traditions, but I didn't think one of them was the weather. And of course, at that moment, Reagan threw his head back and slapped the table uh, in laughter. And it was marvellously captured in a lovely, in lovely photographs, one of which is on the front of the book, because it just to me is a really fun photo showing this queen the queen by the way doesn't move a muscle of her face there's not even a twinge of a smile of course she's looking down at the at the paper and doing that very british uh stiff upper lip but i've caught you out with a funny joke while i'm being very british about it and uh reagan is being the affable jolly chap that he we all know he could be uh, as president and it was just the way that their two characters were were so kind of different, but in a way, complementary on the public stage.
1: Now, we have to ask, the royals notoriously aren't political, but are they? You note the Queen's ability to be quietly persuasive and to encourage warm relations, but also to advance, quote, hard-nosed national goals. It's a tricky balance, but she did it so effortlessly. Can you talk to us about
2: that? Yes, I think the thing you have to bear in mind is that the royal family are deployed, really, by the government, which funds them through taxpayer funding, a lot of it, as diplomats for the country. So there's a lot of lovely pomp and splendor and circumstance. But the hard-nosed bit, as you say, uh, is representing my country uh, around the world and enhancing its uh, reputation and appearance and appeal nowadays uh, for as a place to do business and a place for tourism as much as anything else but throughout her reign uh, her 70 year reign uh, the queen on a number of occasions really stepped up to try and make sure that this relationship between britain and america which she always regarded for her whole life was the most important like non-european relationship of britain the special relationship based upon her wartime experiences and the way the American GIs came over and helped save Europe, of course. She would step in. So at a moment like the dispute in the 1950s, when Eisenhower really fell out with Britain because it had invaded Egypt to retain the Suez Canal and caused a terrible diplomatic incident that Eisenhower was furious. He thought this could drag the Soviet Union into a a global conf- conflagration and basically threatened to bankrupt Britain unless they pulled out, which they did. So relations were, were plunged into a terrible low. And so, what's the solution? Send the Queen over to uh, patch things up with Eisenhower, which she does effortlessly because they know each other from the wartime uh, liaison between her father and Eisenhower. She, of course, can offer the most amazing things that, like, a invitation to stay at balmoral castle for example that other countries just simply cannot offer their glo- their global partners no one's going to claim uh, that it was the the only thing that britain did to restore relations with america let's face it they they replaced their prime minister and they pulled out of egypt but it was part of the the national diplomatic job that had to be done not just between the two heads of state but in the realm of the popular understanding of what's going on here uh, through you know relayed through the media if you have a big successful meeting or trip uh, either way you know a state visit it just seems to be the tonic that res- that helps to restore relations and you see that every i mean almost over and over again, we had a prime minister in the early 1970s, uh, Edward Heath, who was much more interested in Europe and in fact didn't really want to know much about the United States because he was trying to get Britain to join what the forerunner of the European Union and the French thought that Britain was too close to America. So he didn't want anything to do with America. So when Nixon visited to see Edward Heath, uh, the Queen flew down from Balmoral Castle actually just. To just to have lunch, just to be there during the lunch, just to smooth relations between Nixon and Heath, who famously didn't really get along and were a bit frosty, but having the Queen there as the catalyst, just to help things along between them. So that you can see this so often uh, throughout uh, her career. I mean, with Barack Obama, who started out his presidency uh, by inviting not the British Prime Minister, but horror of horrors for us. The Japanese Prime Minister was the first one to, be get, to get a visit to the White House uh, with Obama. And this struck the British as confirming their worst fears that he was going to turn America away from Europe and much more onto the Pacific. What's the answer? A special visit uh, to see the Queen. And Obama came over for an international summit, but he was the only visitor on that international summit to get called into Buckingham Palace uh, for lunch and uh, uh, a a little bit of the royal magic was worked, of course, then. And then the rest is history. Diplomats told me, and I no reason to disbelieve them, that they really think that the relationship between the Queen and the Obamas softened Barack Obama's view of the United Kingdom, uh, which after all, as the descendant of Kenyans where. Winston Churchill, as prime minister, had sent British troops in to quash a rebellion in Kenya, locked up actually members of Barack Obama's family. That's a deep scar that British diplomats were very worried about as part of the general feeling about what does this new guy, we don't know much about, think about our country and how is it going to go? And the Queen, once again, plays a part. I'm not saying, I'm not really trying not to overclaim in the book and say she's the best thing since sliced bread because, you know, it's part of a bigger picture of many people at many levels trying to make this relationship work between the countries. But the Queen is our most famous diplomat and she plays and she plays a role.
1: Yeah. Well David, our final question is just do you feel in the following the Queen is a hard role, but do you feel that King Charles is set up for success to continue that special relationship between the US and the UK that the Queen fostered for decades?
2: Yeah, this is a difficult question, which I had hoped you wouldn't ask because it—oh no. <laughs> I confront in the book uh, a little bit at the end, of course, because it's unavoidable. There's no one like Queen Elizabeth II, who reigned for 70 years, who knew 13 American presidents personally, and pretty well, most of them. There's no one quite like her, and she is, in that respect, irreplaceable. But of course, the monarchy goes on, and we have a new head of state, just as you do every four or eight years, and we uh, do our best to uh, get along. And I have to say that King Charles III, I believe, knows, or has met 10 sitting american presidents including biden uh who he met at uh, he's met several times but he met at the at the cop uh, summit in glasgow uh because of his interest in in the environment and does get along actually uh with uh, biden uh, i fully expect That there will be an invitation uh, coming for 2026 when you celebrate your 250th uh, anniversary, just as there was in 1976 for the bicentenary of uh, July the 4th, of course. But I think uh, some of the magic uh, has gone with the passing of the Queen. I'm very sad to say the soap opera of the grandsons, of her grandsons, uh, William and Harry, is kind of a distraction uh, from. The more serious business of maintaining international relations, but also the reputation of my country, uh, and so we are in a moment where, whilst the monarchy is continuing, we we are still waiting to see exactly how uh, Charles and William managed to steer it uh, through the the world of international relations.
1: David, we could ask you so can many the, more the, questions. Say, yeah, that was a great know.
0: conclusion, right? What a note to end on. <laughs> Well, thank you, David, so much for joining us. And reminder to our listeners that you can pre-order Royal Audience, 70 Years, 13 Presidents, One Queen's Special Relationship with America today. You can pre-order it today, and it is out March 5th. Thank you again, David, for joining us.
2: Thank you. That was great.
0: It's time for the Royal Highs and Lows. Before we adjourn the royal pod, our highs and lows, I am just a little bummed out that this tidbit of news from last week is that the king and queen have canceled a bunch of royal tours. They scrapped a supposed spring tour to Canada because of the king's cancer diagnosis and also probably are going to postpone their Australia trip later this year. Plus Kate and William, we know about there was possibly an Italy trip in there, so it's just a little sad to not see them abroad. And I hope that Getty Images photographer Chris Jackson doesn't go stir crazy. I know, <laughs> I he's know. doing a lot less traveling. Yeah, maybe to Invictus? We'll see.
1: Milo is just Harry not popping up at the Super Bowl. I felt like in the lead up to the Super Bowl, I was like, oh my gosh, I just really hope I'm watching the game just so I can see maybe a Taylor Swift-Prince Harry crossover in that box. But no, even with the NFL honors appearance, he was not there. I don't think he ever intended to be. But I just thought of our glee from 2022 when he was there with Eugenie in a mask.
0: The Super Bowl was a roller coaster for me because I was also sad Harry and Megan weren't there, but then I was so happy that Beyonce had new music. So Oh my gosh.
1: Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and Taylor Good Swift. Call. And like Good that, call. The whole. No, it was a Travis very exciting game. It was yeah. great.
0: My high is the Sussex Media Blitz that we're seeing. I'm just so ready to see what Ari Emanuel's got cooking for them. I am on the edge of my seat checking at Megan every day. Is that so embarrassing to admit? I feel like it is. <laughs>
1: No, but I love
0: that about you. I love so many
1: things. It's a it's a love-filled episode, but I love that your attention to detail on all of these things, always. My high is just the news that Kate was well enough to travel to Anmer Hall. I think this is such a great sign of progress. She joined William and the kids for their half-term break. I, I know it's like we don't know any ins and outs, but I think that that is a glimmer of optimism that things are progressing the way that they hope and expect. Also, seeing Charles out at church in Sandringham this past Sunday, I just, you know... He's going through a lot and I I simultaneously am kind of happy that, you know, it's you don't want it to be for health reasons but that they have the chance to slow down and just focus on that care that needs to happen, but I think it's nice to have these short appearances and seeing him wave to the crowds because we of course miss them in the headlines and out and about.
0: And spending a lot of time at home with his loved ones too. I think that's really nice. Yeah. Just a reminder before we close, please leave us a royal love letter in the form of a five-star review. We would Love you. This is like the hundredth mention of love, but we would love you for (laughs) it. We had this lovely review that's titled All the Royal News Presented in Lovely Way that says, I so enjoy getting my royal news from these two ladies. Love the royal cocktail segment, the royal history segment, and all the interviews. They're very personable and always positive, and I feel they give equal time to the royal family and to Harry and Meghan. This is a podcast I listen to every week. We are We certainly deliver to hear on that, that this week, yes. also. <laughs> yes, a lot of Harry and Megan. The equal time. Reminder to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Please follow us on Instagram at royallyobsessedpodcast and send us an email. Info at gallerypodcasts.com is the best way to reach us. And till next week, God save the pod. Her Majesties of Royally Obsessed have retired for this episode.